Again, thank you for joining us at Prairie View. We're happy to be worshiping with you here today. Now, two weeks ago, we examined the first of three major themes in the book of Proverbs. And that first theme is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What we see there is that wisdom is far more than just making good decisions or having common sense or using street smarts. It's a lot bigger and a lot deeper than that. The foundation of wisdom is having a proper understanding of who God is and who we are. It's that realization that there is a God and it's not us. He is God and we are not God. And the true God deserves our worship, our awe, our love, and even our fear. And only when we understand those truths can we truly begin to understand wisdom. And then last week, David Richards generously offered to preach while I was out of town, and he focused on that second big theme of the book of Proverbs, the second theme being flee sin. There are numerous warnings in the book of Proverbs that sin is anything but neutral. In fact, sin is aggressive. Sin will come after us, and when it does, Proverbs advises us to run in the other direction, run far and run fast. On a quick side note, you saw a great example of the opposite of wisdom last week. You saw folly. Zach committed great folly when he allowed Joshua to talk him into putting a picture of me on the screen, eating in an outburger. When Joshua brought that temptation to Zach, he should have fled, but he didn't. But thankfully, Zach worships a God who forgives unwise people. But then today... We close out Proverbs by looking at our third and final major theme of the book. And that third theme is pursuing righteousness. You know, many people view the Christian life as nothing but negatives. People often view Christians as those who simply say, don't do this. You can't do that. Never, ever do this. That's the caricature that many people buy into of the Christian faith. And unfortunately, sometimes we as Christians tend to feed and tend to further that reputation that we're just a bunch of prudes and we're always telling people what they can't do. Now, it's true that there are a lot of negative commands for the Christian. There are plenty of things that we shouldn't do out of obedience to God and love for our neighbor. It's true that there are many things this world offers us that we must reject. Many sins from which we must actively flee. However, the Christian life is much more than that. The Christian life is not all about running away from bad things. We're also called to chase down good things. We're called to pursue things that God deems righteous. But what exactly is righteousness? Where do we find it? Why should we pursue it? And how do we pursue it? Well, Proverbs gives us a little bit of guidance. And we'll see that this does relate back to the good news of Jesus Christ. So open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. Feel free to use the Bibles that we provide and take a Bible home with you if you don't own one. But before we do any reading in Proverbs, let's pray together as a church. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. 
Uh, thank you, God, that I can be back here safely uh, after a trip across the country. Um, it was nice to get away, but it's also so good uh, to be back here with my church family, uh, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Be with others who are traveling. Uh, we know the Kenzies are traveling. I'm sure there are others as well. Be with those in this church who are dealing with illness, who are recovering from surgery, uh, those who have uh, brought new babies into the world, uh, those who are celebrating milestones, uh, whatever's going on in our congregation today, uh, the ups and downs. I pray that you would walk with each of us, and I pray that we would glorify you uh, during good and bad times. Father, thank you that you've given us Proverbs. You've given us this book of wisdom uh, that can shed so much light on who you are and who we are and how your world works. And so, Father, I pray that we would heed the guidance of Proverbs, heed the guidance of your word. You give it to us because you love us. You give it to us because you want us to flourish. And so, Father, I pray that we would look to your word for that guidance. And thank you for your son. Father, thank you that Jesus died on the cross for sinners like us. Thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you've given us not just this church, but the much bigger church as well. Thank you that there are other brothers and sisters in Christ worshiping in different places, in different ways. Thank you that you bring us all together under your son's lordship. So, Father, be with us as we worship this morning. I pray that it would be honoring to you and encouraging and challenging and helpful for us. We love you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, what exactly do we mean by righteousness? More specifically, what is righteousness by God's standards? Well, I'd say a simple definition of righteousness could be something like this. Righteousness is conforming to God's expectations. Conforming to God's expectations. So for starters, that means obeying God's commands. It means rejecting those things which God rejects. Rejecting those things that contradict God's commands. It's worshiping God as he fully deserves. It's representing God rightly to the world around us. Now, that doesn't sound too complicated, does it? On paper, righteousness is not that hard to understand. But the truth is that in practice, we humans have just never been very good at it. So, for example, go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, the very first humans, fail to live up to God's standards. They fail to conform to God's expectations. They don't fear God sufficiently. They don't flee sin when it's presented to them by the serpent. And they don't pursue righteousness. And ever since, dating back all the way to the Garden of Eden, the rest of us have followed in Adam and Eve's footsteps. We don't do the things we should. We do the things that we shouldn't. We worship all kinds of things instead of God. And we don't always represent him well in our world. So from the very beginning, this idea of pursuing righteousness, conforming to God's expectations, while it looks somewhat easy on paper, is much easier said than done. And from that point forward in the Garden of Eden, Scripture repeatedly guides us back to this path of righteousness. We're repeatedly commanded to leave the bad things of sin behind, chase after the good things of God. 
It's all over the pages of the Old Testament. Warnings about the destructive consequences of sin. Teachings about the joyous rewards of righteousness. And we see all of this in Proverbs as well. Take, for example, Proverbs chapter 2, starting in verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. In Proverbs, wisdom and righteousness are very closely related. And the passage that we just read tells us to seek wisdom and thus seek righteousness like silver. Search for it the way you'd search for buried treasure. Why? Because wisdom and righteousness are the most precious commodities that you could ever find. It's stressed over and over again in the book. Chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Think about that. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to all who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Better than silver, better than gold, better than jewels. If you pursue her, you'll be blessed. We see it again in Proverbs chapter 4, starting in verse 18. But the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. That doesn't sound good. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 8. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. So in other words, if you have to choose being poor and keeping your righteousness versus wicked wealth, then choose the poverty along with righteousness. It's an incredibly precious commodity. But as you think about it more, what makes it so special? Well, according to other passages in Proverbs, it doesn't just bless you. It blesses people around you. Proverbs 10, verse 21. 
The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. You can be a source of life to the people around you, Proverbs tells us, if you pursue righteousness. Chapter 14, verse 34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. It can exalt an entire nation, an entire society. And then chapter 29, verse 7, a righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. Righteousness benefits everyone, including the oppressed and the vulnerable. So wisdom and righteous are these precious commodities. And if you have them, you'll be blessed and those around you will be blessed as well. But why else should we pursue them? Well, if nothing else, because God simply commands us to. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 8, Solomon says, The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. The wise of heart will listen to instruction from God. And in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2, maybe one of the most important commands that God gives his people in the entire Old Testament. He says to Moses, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy. I, the Lord, your God, am holy. God is holy. Therefore, we should be holy. God is righteous. Therefore, we should be righteous. Again, it sounds pretty simple. Scripture is full of passages like these. Over and over again, the joys of pursuing righteousness, the warnings against pursuing sin. And yet, no matter how much our world changes, no matter how much time comes and goes, we humans remain constant. All the way back to Adam and Eve before us. Over and over again, we still fall short of pursuing righteousness. We're told not to be like Adam and Eve. We're told to fear God. We're told to flee sin. We're told to pursue righteousness. It all sounds so straightforward, and yet we fail so consistently and so spectacularly. Why? Well, the problem is that our sinful state is not just a case of some bad habits that can be trained out of us. It's not just flaws that we can fix with behavior modification. It's not just an issue of education that only if we knew the Bible better, then we would be a little more righteous. That's not what it is. Our inability and even our unwillingness to be the righteous people that God calls us to be, that goes down to the very deepest crevices of our hearts and our minds. Like Adam and Eve long ago, we are cursed by disobedience. But thankfully, that's not the end of the story. There is one man who rightly feared God. One man who always fled sin. One man who is perfectly righteous. And that man is Jesus. One of the recurring features in the book of Proverbs is sometimes referred to as a two-path theology. Two paths. You can choose one of two things. You can choose God, or you can choose idols. You can choose wisdom, or you can choose folly. 
You can choose righteousness or you can choose wickedness. Which one will it be? Jesus always took the first path. God over idols. Wisdom over folly. Righteousness over wickedness. We see this so clearly in Matthew chapter 4. In that chapter, Jesus is led up by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he is tempted by Satan. And it sounds kind of familiar to the story we mentioned a moment ago. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. We have a garden. We have wilderness. We have the serpent tempting Adam and Eve, later revealed to be Satan. And that's exactly who's tempting Jesus here. But instead of worshiping Satan, Jesus worships God. Instead of foolishly buying in to Satan's ploys, Jesus exercises wisdom. Instead of falling into wickedness like Adam and Eve did, Jesus proves himself righteous again and again and again. And every single step of his life, Jesus continues on the same path, even when that path leads him directly to a cross. And he dies on that cross for people who chose the wrong path. Sinners like Adam and Eve, sinners like you and me. And while the circumstances of Jesus' death are gruesome, the effect of Jesus' death is nothing short of glorious. We see that in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The word there translated justified is the same as the word righteous or righteousness in the rest of the New Testament. Thus, you could say that to be justified is to be declared righteous. And according to the Apostle Paul, it doesn't revolve around our ability to do all the right things. It doesn't revolve around our ability to perfectly conform to God's expectations. Our justification, our being declared righteous, revolves around faith in Jesus. Around that cross that Jesus died on. That cross is the intersection of God's justice and God's grace. That cross is the place where sin is justly punished. And yet sinners are graciously forgiven. And it all revolves around Christ. That's why Paul can make those bold statements like he does in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. We read it a couple weeks ago. He refers to Jesus as the one who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 11 Paul prays for this church that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. You see, it's through Jesus that the unrighteous are declared righteous. It's through Christ that we are saved. But again, that's just the beginning. You see, we're not just declared righteous. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are slowly but surely being transformed into the kind of people who actually pursue righteousness. 
There's an old Puritan prayer in the Valley of Vision that says this. May we derive relief from Jesus' sufferings without ceasing to hate sin and without ceasing to long after holiness. Knowing that we've been declared righteous because of Jesus, knowing that we've been saved, justified because of Jesus, doesn't mean we cease to care about doing good. Rather, it motivates us to pursue righteousness all the more. Like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For our sake, he, referring to God, made him, referring to Jesus, For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, again referring to Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. At the cross, we are declared righteous. But as we live as followers of Jesus, we're being transformed into people who actually are righteous. God gives us the Holy Spirit that we might pursue and display righteousness to the world around us for his glory. In Romans chapter 8, Paul gives us a two-path theology of his own. He says we either walk by the Spirit in this new life, or we walk by the flesh. Our old fleshly hearts and minds and lives are being transformed to reflect Jesus Christ. And with our new spirit-filled hearts and minds, we find ourselves actually wanting to obey God, wanting to reject the things that oppose God, wanting to worship God alone, and wanting to represent him rightly in our world for his glory and the good of others. With these spirit-filled hearts and these spirit-filled minds, we actually agree with Jesus. We want to listen to Jesus when he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We pursue righteousness in the sight of others, not so that we would be glorified, but so that God would be glorified. The one who declared us righteous. The one who is making us righteous. Now the truth is that this doesn't happen overnight. And it doesn't happen all at once. There will be struggles along the way in this pursuit of righteousness. In this life, even with the gift of the Holy Spirit, we will never be truly and fully righteous. Paul talks about this struggle in Romans chapter 7. He wants to obey God in his mind, but he still finds himself doing evil in his body. Perhaps you've had that same struggle. Maybe you're growing in righteousness in two or three areas of your life. You're seeing the work of the Holy Spirit. You're seeing that sanctification. You're encouraged and you're joyful. But there's still those one or two sins that just never seem to truly go away. You're frustrated. You're tired of fighting it. You wish they would just disappear. Well, Paul can sympathize with you. But the truth is that Paul doesn't give us a silver bullet solution to those struggles. At the end of that passage, he simply says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Paul knows that one day he will be delivered from that body that doesn't always obey. He knows that one day he will be purely, completely, holistically, and truly righteous. But in the meantime, we pursue righteousness. And in those inevitable moments when we fall short, we thank God for Jesus. Thanks be to God for our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who didn't fall short. Again, this life of pursuing righteousness won't always be easy. This life can still be full of great pain, can be full of great suffering. It can be full of frustration, but it's worth it. This spirit-driven growth and holiness and wisdom won't always be as fast as we'd like or as consistent as we like. Sometimes we might even be tempted to doubt whether we're growing in righteousness at all. But in those moments, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And trust the promises of God that he really has given you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit really is working in you. And he really is growing you and changing you and helping you become the kind of person who conforms to the expectations of God. Now, as we prepare to close, look at Matthew chapter six, starting in verse thirty one. Jesus gives this guidance to his anxious disciples. He says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all those things, and your heavenly fathers know, Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Again, the Christian life is not just about leaving bad things behind. It's about seeking out good things. Seeking out the things of the kingdom of God. The Christian life is not just about fleeing sin. It's about pursuing righteousness. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a preacher in Nazi Germany in the early 1940s. And one author kind of summed up one of Bonhoeffer's life principles by saying this. Being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. Again, it's not just about fleeing bad things. It's about seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. As Paul puts it in Colossians chapter 3, If then you have been raised with Christ, which if you're sitting here as a believer, the answer is, yes, you have been. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above not on things that are on the earth. This perfectly wise and perfectly righteous Christ went to the cross for us, and all who believe are declared righteous in the eyes of God. But now that we've been declared righteous, now that we've been justified, now that we've been saved, let's pursue righteousness. May we not pursue it so that we may be saved, but because we already are. May we not pursue it by our own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And may we not pursue it for our own glory, 
but for God's glory. May we be people who fear the Lord, people who flee sin, people who pursue righteousness. May we be wise. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you have saved us. Thank you that you have declared us righteous, even though all the evidence says otherwise. Thank you that you have loved us so much, that you have been so merciful and gracious to us. And Father, now that you've saved us, now that you've justified us, I pray that you would grow us and shape us and transform us. Help us to be the people who you say we are. You say that we're righteous. You say that we are your children. So, Father, help us live like it. Help us pursue this righteousness in a way that glorifies you. Not in a way to be full of ourselves or puff ourselves up with our own self-righteousness, but rather to bear fruit that brings you glory. I pray that the world would notice the way that you're working in our hearts and working in our minds. I pray that people would look at us and see something different about us than the world around. I pray that people would see our growth and glorify you. Ask questions about you. Want to know what in the world has happened to us so that we can tell them about your son, Jesus Christ. Father, be with us as we prepare to leave this place. Help us to pursue righteousness as a church family, encouraging each other and challenging each other along the way. And help us to do it in a way that brings you glory. We love you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.